You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 67 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you Gina? I'm great, Val. I'm really full. I've just come back Ooh. from my mum's. Oh, uh, I've had yes. a big family lunch and uh, nice. I'm very glad I'm at my standing desk now because, uh, yes, uh, <laughs> great day, but I'm, I'm quite full. So how was your day? Yeah, good. I've just had a fairly relaxing day. It's been uh, very nice in Sydney. I've been reading books and trying to catch up on my yeah to be red pile and Uh all of that sort of thing so it's been it's been good you know I popped down to the shops and all of that just to have a cup of tea it's not a very exciting weekend for me you need to do that though you can't be going at a million miles an hour I find that as soon as I start to do too much my brain stops working Mm -hmm. I stop thinking of there's no inspiration it's blocked because Mm. your head's so busy I think it's good to just sit and contemplate your navel for a little while every now and then yes well we've got a busy month coming up too I know haven't we so we've got a big trip planned we actually should plan that well we probably need to have a conversation about that at some point don't we Val yes (laughs) and maybe what we can do I think somebody in the Facebook group um suggested this uh by the way if if you want to join our Facebook group search for so you want to be a photographer podcast community on Facebook and uh join us it's free it's uh good fun where we all share photos and chat to each other in there but uh somebody in the Facebook group actually suggested that you and I do a live Facebook broadcast when we're next together. And I think that's not a bad idea. What do you think of that, Gina? What, when we're in the Philippines? Yeah, well, that's the next time I'm going to see you. Wow. Don't you think that's a good idea? could do that, I guess. But the last (laughs) time we were together, Val. Yes. With the champagne. Yeah, well, we could have champagne and do the live Facebook broadcast. That could be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listeners, if you want this to happen, tweet us or, you know, send us a message in the Facebook group or on social media if if you want me to convince Gina to do a live Facebook broadcast. So live oh, as in people although can ask questions. I did discover, I, I do know, because live Facebook broadcasts are rolling out um, you know, country by country. And I have discovered that it doesn't work in the Philippines, but maybe because our country is is considered Australia, it might still work. I don't know how Facebook works works that out. So um, we'll see. Well, I can't promise anything, listeners. Right. If we can do it, I'm going to make it happen, okay? Awesome. awesome. Yes. Now, you've got some interesting links for us this week, Gina. 
Yeah, so I had a, a really busy week and the last couple of days I have been um, pumping out um, retouching files and so mm. like as, as I do that, I like to binge watch a bit of stuff <laughs> and uh, one of the shows I watched a movie called No Cameras Allowed, Val, and oh. it's a documentary uh, that follows a guy called James Marcus Haney's and uh, he w was a, a film student mm -hmm. and he actually uh, snuck into all these music festivals around the world oh. by having cameras around his neck and pretending he was paparazzi. But then when he got in, he actually started filming these festivals and then he just gets better and better and better at it. And then he makes this whole movie about the fact that he snuck into all these festivals. It's awesome. Wow. Like you're with him all the way. You're willing him to get over the fence, to get through security, to like, you know, to get that photo. He's using drones before anyone had heard it because this is like, you know, 10 or 15 years ago when he did all this. And it's like he's got his actual footage and then the stuff he obviously didn't film, he's made cartoons of. Oh. I loved it. I really loved it. I think I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of our listeners would enjoy it. So if you, if you come across it, no cameras allowed, uh, check it out. I think it's great. And Very entertaining. Of course, it's interesting what can happen if you've got a chunky camera and a bit of attitude. Because uh -huh. I, I know that I've been with you <laughs> where we've just gotten into places because you've just taken one look at the bouncer and pointed to your camera and somehow we've yeah. gotten in. And it's quite bizarre to watch, but it can happen. It's so easy if you know the walk and the look and mm. you just walk through like you own the place. Yes. And it's like I, even when I have all the accreditation, I play a game with myself <laughs> to see I'm going to get through all the checkpoints without ever being asked for accreditation. I have everything, but I just want to make sure I can swagger through. Mm. And uh, generally I do. Oh, you do. And I w remember vividly <laughs> that we were at uh, Bon Jovi. <laughs> in Melbourne uh, not that long ago, like last year or whenever it was, and we were going through all of the checkpoints and I would approach a checkpoint and the security guard would put his hand up to stop me and then you'd walk along and he'd just take one look at you and open the gate and we were able to walk through. Didn't even have a camera, Val, did Yes, I? you didn't no, have a camera. No, I didn't have a camera. I just like swaggered on through. You've got that's to right. walk it. You've got to look like you own the place, Val. That's how it's done. Okay. Clearly, I don't have that skill. Um, all right. We also have another link from you about screensavers. Yeah, so um, like with the uh, divorce that's been happening with my email and that's now <laughs> final, Val, the, the papers have gone in, I am no longer with that company, it's over. And do you know, it's like when they came, when it was like the final thing was signed off, <laughs> what a relief. Okay. I felt really good. I didn't expect to feel that good, but it's very freeing. I'm mm. now um, repartnered. <laughs> And uh, it's going very well. I'm very happy. I didn't think I'd be this happy with a new email um, host. host, but I really am. And uh, it's everything I ever wanted in an email host and more, you okay. know, 
So, but while I was doing that, obviously I've been, you know, um, upgrading all my software and tweaking all my computers. And I've been looking at my screensavers. I'm like, what can I do? I've got my own photos. I've seen enough of my photos. What can I do to inspire me a little bit more every time I'm opening a new tab? Mm. And so I found in Chrome, which I do you use Chrome. I love yes, Chrome. Yes, Chrome is Chrome. awesome. Mm. You probably put me onto it. But <laughs> you can actually uh, link the website 500 picks directly to your screensaver on your Mac. Oh. So every time I open Chrome and I open a new tab for that two seconds while it's loading, I'm looking at a new image from 500 picks. Oh, nice. Full screen and they're beautiful. And you can actually go into the preferences and tick the um, subcategories that you prefer. So if you're into wildlife or fashion or retro or black and white or travel. Or cats. Or cats. You can pick those specific areas and they're the ones that uh, you'll see from the uh, 500 picks archive. Fantastic. And sometimes I just sit there and go, wow, that's a really nice shot. I just (laughs) want to see the next one now. And it might be a bit of time wasting, but I'm constantly, every time another shot comes up, I'm like, wow, that's impressive. And we'll put the link in the show notes in case you want to get those screensavers for yourself as well. Mm. So I want to move on. We have a shout out to Frangie56. Now, Frangie56 has left us a five-star rating on iTunes and... Frangie56 has written spot on, loved the metering episode. Gina's knowledge and Val's interviewing style just worked to perfection. I learned something new in each episode and after more than a year of listening, I'm still excited Whoa. to hear each new episode. Wow. That's cool. And Thank I you. love that name. Yes. Frangie56 is going to appear as a preset at some point. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I see a name, I'm like, thank you so much. Yeah, really appreciate it. That uh, means more to us than you know. And if you do have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it because it does help us in the rankings on iTunes. So thank you so much. Now, Last week, Jessica Roberts Booten had a listener question and and wanted some feedback on uh, a photo that she took of her daughter. Um, and you gave some feedback in the podcast yep. on really how to use the metering Meter. on her face. How to meet her correctly. So what mm. she's done is she shot her daughter in between two concrete uh Pillars or brick pillars. And uh, I had explained that because she's used the style of metering that she's used in her camera, I thought the uh, skin tone was a little dark. But I explained that after you listen to the show on metering, Mm. you're going to really get it. And, you know, she did. And she went out and she replicated the shot. Exact same dress, same same one of her eight kids, mm. <laughs> right? Yes. And a same pose, everything, but this time she's metered in, in the way that I suggested in the episode, chalk and cheese. And so it's, it's brilliant. Like, it's brilliant. And it's like, that made tone. me so happy. And thank you so much for, for sharing that, Jessica, because it's like, it, what a difference. It shows that what it works. What a difference. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like, and you got it. And uh, I got a lot of um, feedback last week uh, about that episode that mm. it, like, it really made people go, I now understand uh, metering, even though I'd explained it using 
Fifty Shades, 50 of, Grey. Shades of Grey. Yes. So we'll put uh, the before and after uh, images in the show notes in case you're interested in checking it out. And you'll find them at Gina Militia. That's M I L I C I A dot com. So we also have a listener question from Daniela Moon. Monet, maybe? I just got, I think one of those squiggly things above the E, Val. Okay. That I didn't get when I copied it into the show notes. So that would make it Monet, would it? Quite possibly. Hmm. But Daniela has written, Hi, Gina. Recently, I was approached by a friend who works at a spa to do headshots for the spa team. The spa director wants to use the images to introduce the team on social media and the spa website. How would you approach this job? What lighting setup, background, lens would you recommend for the headshot? Uh, and Daniela says, I shoot with a Canon 7D lens, 50mm and 85mm. I have two speed lights and an umbrella and a reflector. Um, I'm thinking of investing in the Westcott X-Drop for a clean white background and easy to carry. So, yeah, that's that's yeah. a good question. Yeah, and so, by the way, I checked out your website, Daniela, and your shots are beautiful. I've put a link in the show notes if anyone wants to look at her work, but she beautiful uh, portrait work uh, that you do there, so congratulations. Um, something like this for a spa, I would really t treat this as a, a more lifestyle kind of shoot, and yeah. I don't think I would bring the backdrop at all, Daniela. I don't think you need it because suddenly that's going to look too clinical and like a studio shoot. And when I think of spas, I'm thinking wellness, I'm thinking frangipanis, <laughs> I'm thinking essential oils and, you know, um, blown out white backgrounds and, and calm and beautiful green and calming colours. Mm. So if I was photographing uh, people who worked at the at the uh, the spa, I would uh, try and use uh, what's there as backgrounds, and so I'd be looking. And I'm sure, like most spas, are fairly beautifully Beautiful. set out. You imagine, and there's lots of uh, lush gardens. There's always water features. There's always whale noises that come in those <laughs> spas too, isn't there, Val? Like, yes. You know, you know that's yes. one of my favourite things. I've got that on a CD here. Sometimes I put them on during the day just to relax me and the rain as well. So you you would want to be like for, the first thing I would do is turn up, do a quick recce of the place, have a look around, and look for good areas where you could use um, them as backdrops. So often you might have like a wall of um, of green um, vines covering a wall. You could pose people in front of that. You might have areas where there's like long corridors where you've got mm. strong backlights for, for interest. And then you might want to just pop a little dook of light into the face. But I would be shooting as if you've got a 50 mil and an 80 mil uh, as wide open as you can on those. Uh, I would probably go with the 85. Focus on the eyes, shallow depth of field as possible. Blow the background out so you get a sense of, you know, out of focus, bright, clean, uh, fresh colours and a sense of like we don't know where it is but it's kind of rainforesty and fresh in keeping with the look of the spa. That's the, that, that's the approach I would take. Now, what if, Gina, it's not a stunning spa? I mean, we've been to stunning spas where they have, the, as you say, beautiful walls and gorgeous yeah. whale music and, you know, a wall full of vines. But what yes. if it's your suburban spa that doesn't necessarily have all of those beautiful things? It's actually a little bit pokey. 
messy and it's still, I'm sure, a very nice experience for people, but it doesn't have all those luxurious touches. What would you suggest then? So in that case, uh, if it was a suburban spa, if it was perhaps in a strip shopping mall, I would try again and use that same approach, but you just bring uh, the people outside. So if you're in open shade, like a shaded area, have them uh, find uh, like a nice clean wall that you can lean them against. And again, like using that very shallow depth of field, look for bright white areas behind them or areas of green or take them to a park or yeah, something go to a nearby. Park. Because mm. I'm, the minute you start to drop in white, grey, whatever background, it starts to look very studio, stark, clinical. It loses that 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 romance, that beautiful, you know, I'm in a spa, I'm relaxed Mm. kind of vibe. And you don't, you don't need to use uh, more than one speed light for this. I would just have your big Westcott and uh, one speed light and maybe a reflector just to help you. But that's it. Keep it simple so you can move around really quickly and make the most of it, uh, the, uh, the location. Great advice. Now let's move on to this week's topic, which is really good and something I'm a bit scared of. Well, and I'm not very good at, I must admit. But episode 67 is all about how to shoot in low light. And it was actually inspired by um, a comment in the Facebook group by Ian Oliver Holm. And Ian said that he had his most challenging shoot that particular evening. He said it was at night in a small garage with new lighting gear. There was so much gym equipment. So it was basically a shoot for a personal trainer. Um, And there were three bodies in there. It really pushed my limits and it was good to see I have lots to improve on. And I really felt that I took a lot away from the 30 minute session. So he only had 30 minutes. Yeah. So he was shooting for a personal trainer's social media page to attract more business. Yeah. Now we've put some images in the show notes, but basically he it is a small gar- like brick garage. There's gym equipment, but there's the space is very tight and yep. he is shooting at night. And yep. so he's got some shots of uh, the personal trainer with a client, um, basically using the equipment, using the dumbbells, using the ropes where you're, you know, flinging the ropes about. Do you do that, Val, when you train? Do you do that rope thing where you fling the ropes sometimes sometimes uh-huh. yes <laughs> to you i've done it it hurts it, it hurts can your hurt, arm. it yes. just doesn't take long and you're worn out yes pretty much not my favorite not my favorite no <laughs> uh so um we'll, yes we'll put these images in the show notes but what ian's done is because it is at night and it is in a garage he's set up some lights mm. and um he's had to do it in this very small space so shooting in low light. Where do we start with this one, Gina? So this this is often very tricky, but like as photographers, we've got to get used to uh, having to do stuff like this because often you're not always going to be walking into a spa that's, uh, you know, flooded in daylight mm. and there's lots of photo opportunities or like large open spaces. Often I find myself, you know, backed up against uh, a wheelie bin in the corner, mm-hmm. you know, uh, right up to the upper limits and it's pitch black. 
back and I've got to create something out of nothing. So um, some of these techniques that I'm going to share with you today, uh, uh, you can use for those instances where you've got like very dark rooms or sometimes you might be shooting uh, in a large warehouse and you just want to create that low light mood or you want to just like the person that you're photographing but you don't want the light to go everywhere else because it's like once you start bringing lights in mm. you kill the ambience of the mm. shoot all right so let's um let's break it down let's talk about uh first of all camera settings for working in low light val okay all right so Basically, when you're shooting in low light, the first thing you want to have is you want to be able to shoot with a lens that is very fast. So by very fast, I mean that an aperture that will open like really wide. So at the high end, a lens that opens to say 1.2 mm. uh, is probably about as, as like wide open as you'll get. You're, gonna, you're looking at about two, two grand. 2000 bucks for one yes. of those. So like with the 50mm 1.2 or the 85mm 1.2 beautiful lenses, they mean that means that you can go into a, like a really dark sort of situation and pull out a bit more light in that area cuz you're you you're giving yourself like more opportunities cuz you can shoot wide open. Now, not everyone has a spare two grand to get a lens that opens up to that aperture. Yes. They might have the the kit lens that came with their, their camera yep. and might only be 5.6 or, yeah. or something like that. Three- 3.5 that'll open up to a kit okay. lens. So 5.6 when you zoom out to, to like 105 or 150 on the kit lenses. Uh, the other suggestion is like when you're ready to move into these sorts of areas, there is a 51.8 that you can buy. That That's still very fast, Val. Mm-hmm. And there you can pick those up for about 50 bucks. Oh. Secondhand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So they're a cheap plastic lens, and they're actually considered the the like the Canon fifty mm one point eight is considered like a kit lens. It was a kit lens on the early uh, film cameras. Mm. So if you can get your hands on one of those, and there's thousands of them around, trust me, um, I think that's a, a, a very good uh, like next step up on the uh, on the kit lens. All right, that's a good okay? one. So. The other, the other thing we need to look at in settings is our shutter speed. So mm. if we're shooting in really low light, you will be slowing down your shutter speed to allow more of the ambient light that's in the room mm-hmm. to capture it. So if, say, let's uh, create a scenario, uh, you're walking into a room. Let's, let's just stay back at the spa because I've okay. got that in my head at the moment. So imagine you're walking in and you want to capture a shoot of uh, someone and it's one of those beautiful spas, Val, in my head, all right? <laughs> so you've got the big massage bed in the middle of the table. It's one of those big whale noises. <laughs> bit of rainforest, some rain and the odd monkey and, a, and, a, and a, like a, a bird sound every now and then, the water feature and like what's that smell that's in all the spas, like the essential oil? They've got yes. – yes. what's the name of like it? Like bergamot and <laughs> yilang, yilang, yilang. Yilang, yilang. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that – you know, you, you, you're there with me, right? Yes. And so – 
but they might um and they have the uh the candles burning mm. everywhere so they might have like the beautiful ones might have like 50 candles now if you want to capture a low light shot you want to capture the flick of those candles mm. if you start shooting at say uh a 200th of a second with uh flash on camera you're going to kill that ambience so you want to be shooting at a really slow shutter speed yep now, the problem with that is obviously if you're handheld and you're shooting under, for me, under a 60th of a second, you're going to get camera shake. Yeah. All right. So I think the next uh, ideal uh, item of uh, equipment that you need when you're shooting in low light, and I think it's essential, unavoidable, is a tripod mm. or at the very least a monopod. But I would stick to a tripod, especially if you're planning on doing a lot of these sorts of shoots. So that keeps your camera steady and uh, it's going to eliminate any camera shake and allow you to shoot at sort of lower shutter speeds and capture all those little uh, beautiful sort of like little candles, any little twinkling lights and, and things like that that you want to get in your background. Yep. Um, if you don't want to carry a tripod around uh, you might be traveling and I know I've done this and I've left the tripod behind on some uh, location shoots where I am traveling is I've used things like you can get little bean bags that you sit under your camera mm. and then you can put your camera on a wall or a ledge and it'll be completely steady and shoot like that Okay, because the mm -hmm. bean bag, you sit the camera in the bean bag and it like it fits snugly and then you can place it on something and it won't move. Yeah. So you won't get that camera shake. So rocks, fire hydrants, and the other one is just to remember your bracing techniques when you're shooting. So bring your hands in and try and be as rock solid as you can. But, you know, tripod sort of wins uh, in, in that sort of situation. Finally, um, Camera settings, Val, the thing you need to think about is pumping up the uh, ISO or ISO. Mm. There's two different ways to say this. I know the correct <laughs> saying is it's actually ISO, but I'm not going to say it like that because <laughs> I'm, I'm too used to ISO now and it doesn't have the same meaning for me anymore. Is that going to be a problem? Uh, I always <laughs> say ISO. Yeah, it's not correct apparently, but there's hot debates everywhere when you start reading about it and there's people that will say, no, if you look, you know, look it up, it's it's actually ISO, it stands for internet, I don't know, you know, but anyway. Okay. So um, if you pump up the ISO when you shoot in low light, you're mm. going to be able to shoot a lot faster and capture a lot more of the detail in mm. low light. The problem with that, the higher the ISO, the more um, noise you're going to get in the yep. camera. Now, basically, noise uh, is similar to when we were shooting in the film days, grain in an, an image. It's like it's it's the, the image doesn't look as clean and professional that you can actually see the pixels become mm. more prominent the higher the ISO. So when it's like a low ISO of, say, 100, uh, you're not going to see the pixels. They've kind of got like soft edges. But the higher the ISO you get, it, it like it, they become really uh, pronounced and you, the, the edges become really sharp and it looks really detailed, like very, very grainy film. So mm. uh, that, that coarse texture at a certain point, it's not as attractive. You lose a lot of the fine detail in your image. Skin tones start to look really mottled, like if you're shooting 3,000, 4,000 ISO, and you're not going to get lovely portraits. So I, I tend to sort of stay under 
1500 under mm. 800 if I'm doing uh, professional like, advertising shoots, definitely under 400 if it would be like a billboard, a cover shoot or something like that because I don't want any noise in my files. So something to consider, you've got to factor in, you know, noise versus how sharp you shoot it. A sort of a good rule of thumb is it's still better to have a sharp image that's a little bit noisy or grainy than a soft image that doesn't have any noise or grain. Okay. I guess it depends on the purpose of the shot. So it depends what the shots are ultimately going to be used for. So I was talking to a photographer the other day because we were sitting next to each other for about three days at a conference and she was, you know, in charge of – she was the photographer for the conference. And Cheating on me with another photographer. <laughs> Oh, I didn't commission her. I just pang. There's like a little pang of pain when you said that. I was just like a little bit. I just went, "Oh, Valerie's been with another photographer." I thought I could smell another photographer on you the other day when you came. Oh my god! So anyway, I just happened to be sitting next to her in this conference, and the conference room was quite dim because you know, even though there was uh, light on the stage. Um, it wasn't always the brightest light. It was, um, it it was, it wasn't the yeah, it wasn't the brightest light in at the, in the conference. And so after a couple of days watching a shoot, people in the crowd, but also uh, on stage, I said to her, "How in the world?" And she was not using a tripod or a monopod. She was standing up on a chair and holding the camera with this very big lens. I, there's no way I could have kept it still. Mm. Um, and I said, how in the world are you, you know, getting these sharp? What ISO are you shooting at? And I think she said something like 5,000. And I was like, wow, that's, I, I hardly ever shoot, you know, mm. at that. And ultimately it depends on what the shots are going to be used for. So what the conference organiser would use these shots for um, would be, you know, photos on Facebook to recap the conference mm. and some photos on the website and on email. So it didn't matter um, in this instance that there was going to be a little bit of grain because they weren't going to blow it up to a billboard or anything like that. Yeah, but what happens, Val, and it's like, you know, I'm sure she's nice and all. And, uh, <laughs> and probably listening to the podcast. <laughs> the, the danger in that and the reason I like to cover myself, Val, is like sometimes you might get that shot mm. of the night that the, the, the event organisers then turn around and say, let's make this a billboard. Yes, that's true. So that's the danger of that. That's why I'm afraid to go into that 5,000. And I see like a lot of weddings shot at that, like mm. at that level and things like that. So probably if I was going to be spending a whole night doing that, when the hero, there's always a hero of the night, isn't there, at an event like that, the main speaker or something like that. Yes. I might for then going, well, this is going to be a big deal. Maybe one day it might be worth my while just covering myself, dropping back down to maybe 400 or 800 and whipping out the monopod and just getting some lower ISO just in case. Okay, good tip. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's... Yeah, it's a worry, that, like, that, that sort of And it stresses me. you out just listening to that, it, I know. It does. It stresses me going over mm -hmm. 2,000. It's like, oh, no. Um, so, yeah, so I think we've covered uh, camera settings. Yep. All right. So um, let's talk about exposure. In, in low light. So 
I mentioned this last week. I'll mention it every time we ever talk about exposing for an image. Uh, I believe that if you want to get a great exposure, there's only one way to nail the exposure every time, and that's use a light meter. It it just gets it absolutely correct, and it saves um, ages. You think you might have the exposure correct, but like... Looking at the back of a screen or even um, on a a laptop, it takes extra time and there are little things that you can miss. You may not be able to see that 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 highlight is uh, perfectly correct. You might suffer from blown highlights or not getting enough detail in the shadow. So, like I always recommend, if you can... Uh, start using a light meter, get in early on that. If you're just starting out in your career, have a light meter early. Um, and I think you'll never, you'll never ever regret it. And again, they, you can pick them up for 50 to a hundred dollars. I think well worth the investment. So if you don't, then it, it comes down to uh, a bit of chimping uh, mm-hmm. to make sure you've got the exposure right. We all know what chimping is. Hey, Val, why don't you... Um, <laughs> Just do a little chimping demonstration for us. So chimping is when you're taking a shot and you take the shot and you look at the viewfinder and you go, ooh, and then you, you adjust something, you take the shot and you look at the viewfinder, you go, ooh, and you keep on going, ooh, ooh, ooh. Is that it? Yeah, perfect. So so that, don't do that... chimping is Gina's suggestion. <laughs> um. So a little bit of that is involved. Um, so when you're looking at you, you might be shooting in a dark room, Val, or you might have a bright room, but you want to, using uh, artificial light, create a dark environment. So let's just say uh, we have uh, a single candle in, in the spa room, okay, mm-hmm. while, while music playing. Determine what the hero of that shot's going to be. So in this case, for me, I'm thinking that that candle, that's the hero of my shot. So in that case, the what I am worried about getting uh, exposed correctly is the flame. So I'm going to meter for the highlights in this case. And if I meter for the highlights, I will get all the detail in the flame and where there's shadow areas in the image, they're going to go to black and then everything in between will will be sort of mid-tones from there because I'm metering off uh, the flame. Now, mm-hmm. if, you, if that's looking too contrasty and you've got a flame and it's a very dark room and you've lost all the detail, you can then start introducing lights into your shadow areas to bring more detail into the shadows. And so I'll go into that in a moment, but that's the first step. What's the hero going to be of my shot? What am I metering off? Am I looking for detail in my highlights specifically or is it detail in the shadows? Mm. Now, I might have another scenario, Val, where I've got a man in a dark suit, say he's in a dark room, but in the room there's beautiful textured dark wallpaper and he's on a dark maybe upholstered chair. So we've got like the shiny upholstery, black, black leather, but there's, there's, there's a definite texture against, say, velvet uh, black wallpaper and he's in a black suit sitting in a chair in a dark room, right? Mm-hmm. There's no other lights in the room. The first thing I would do is I want to meter my ambient light for detail in the shadow areas. Okay. 
Okay, so if I'm metering for detail in the shadows, I'm going to meter off uh, one of the darkest parts. So let's say I want to feature the suit. I do want to show uh, detail that that's where I'm going to be metering from. Because let's say there happened to be, um, he was wearing a, like a white shirt under his suit. Mm. If I metered off that, mm. I would get all my detail in the whites, but I would lose uh, everything in the blacks. The blacks yep. would just go to... Um, Black. Not technical term. <laughs> There's just nothing there. It's just like all black. your blacks just go into a huge blob. The problem with that is if you're not getting um, a good enough exposure in your blacks in your digital file, mm. people say, no worries, I can rescue it in Lightroom or Photoshop. And yes, you can. And there's a lot of stuff you can do. Like you can open, there's shadow sliders, you open it up and you're bringing all the detail back into your midtones mm. and seeing a lot more detail in the shadows. But the problem is it also brings noise. Mm. So you get like grainy, uh, yucky, detailed shadows and that, that they don't look fantastic. So you're better off exposing for them correctly at the start. Yep. All right. So just remembering now that in a dark room with mostly black, your camera is going to want to. Remember we talked about this last week. This continues. Hans's approach to uh, exposing for everything is bringing everything back to the equivalent of mid-grey. Yes. That's the average tone that the camera Hans suggests is correct. Yes. Okay? So what so you that's focus what he's on or what, what the camera is metering on, the, the camera will think, I'm going to make that mid-grey and everything around it compare accordingly. We'll shift accordingly. Exactly. Mm. So remembering that if we're in a black room and I'm exposing and metering using my cat won't happen if I use my light meter I'll get the right reading because mm -hmm. it's actual light but the camera meter is measuring light that's coming off it's reflected light coming off the black suit so it's going to meter for the black and it's going to give you the correct settings that give you gray across the whole image which means you're Black man, black suited man in a black chair with black wallpaper is going to read grey, grey, grey. It's going to overexpose the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. And the if I expose using the same technique for the flame back in the spa, mm. it's going to do the opposite. It's going to um, underexpose. Underexpose. Mm. Because it's going to try and bring the flame back to grey. Mm. All right, so does that all make sense? And if anyone's confused, we highly recommend that you listen to episode 66, which is just the previous episode uh, where we explain this whole thing about the, the camera metering it to mid-grey. Yeah. So um, we're remembering all those rules and we're compensating. So if we want, uh, we see that the camera's metered incorrectly for the black, uh, we, we might want to uh, close down a little bit. And if we're metering specifically for whites, we will open up a little bit. So half a stop to one and a half stop either way, depending on what you're metering for, shadows or highlights. Mm -hmm. All right. And really critical that you expose correctly for either end of the spectrum because in uh, digital, you cannot rescue. Once you've blown your highlights, you've 
blown it. <laughs> right. Like they're blown. Um, and trying to, like, bring them back in in, in post-production, you just, at one point, if you've like, gone too far, you'll just start getting, like, dirty grey. You will never get that detail back. So it's really critical that you try and get your highlights correctly exposed. Mm -hmm. So um, you can play around at this point if you're not getting enough detail in, the, say, the blacks, to tweak the uh, uh, either the shutter speed or the ISO. You can go faster in the ISO, just remembering the more ISO, the more noise. Yep. Okay? Yep. So um, then you can start to uh, play around with different styles of fill light mm -hmm. to get your shot. So going back to, let's let's just reimagine that we're uh, in, uh, for, for Ian's sake, uh, a small room that, that might be the size of like a little bit uh, bigger than uh, like an, an average garage, say. Yeah. One, one car would fit, like, you know, so you've got a bit of space around it, but that sort of space. Um, and you want to create something sort of moody and dark. Let, let's just say there's no window light other than the only light that comes in is from the roller door. That's it. Okay. okay. But it's nighttime. Ian was doing this at nighttime. <clears throat> okay. So we are in that. So if I bring, say, a couple of umbrellas into that light and just light the whole area, I'm just mm -hmm. going to light the whole area and it's like I've just got complete daylight and we lose any mood. But we can mm. actually um, – there are ways to introduce little tooks of light into that area that are going to really give that mood, moodiness, and the light will spill into the background a little bit and just pick up and get a hint of uh, some weights leaning up against right. the wall or, yes. or the edge of a bag, mm. but you don't need to light the whole room and yes. just sort of give the whole game away. We want to create a bit of mystery. Yes, because if you uh, just can see the weights just on the side, obviously it's a gym. Yeah, so it's like, you know, and, and it, it is really tricky and it comes down to the choice of uh, modifiers and even the way and the angle that you position the light. So let's, uh, let's quickly break it down, shall we, Val? Yeah, okay. Um, all right, so if, I'm, uh, if I was uh, shooting that scenario that, uh, that, that Ian did in that gym, I would probably, for that sort of setup, that small garage, you could get away with one very large softbox, right. and maybe a reflector to light mm -hmm. that whole um, to light that whole scene. So, um, Val, if you scroll down in the show notes, mm -hmm. um, you'll see I've got. It's actually last week's podcast cover. Uh, the actual podcast cover only showed half the uh, frame, but the whole frame there is two an NRL and an AFL footballer on a bench. So okay. for Americans, there are two football codes. One is yes. um, Australian Football League and one is National Rugby League. Yeah, uh, so they both a... play with an egg-shaped ball and run around in yeah. white shorts. So it's our version of gridiron. Yeah. Well, two versions. Uh, yeah. Um, now, this, this setup, Val, is mm -hmm. shot in a studio the size of a garage. The actual mm. entire room is about the same size as the area that Ian was shooting in. Mm. It, the walls are painted dark grey all the way around. There is no daylight in this room. No. Okay? It's a black room. And I shot this 
with one softbox. This is a great shot. So we'll put the image in the show notes, but as Gina said, it's a black wall and there's just a bench, like the a kind of bench that you would find in a locker room, and you've got one guy at one end and one guy at the other end holding their respective footballs because they have different footballs for the different codes. And uh, it's a, clearly a dark locker room, but the thing that makes it obvious that it is a, a locker room is that it's clearly after a game because they're dirty, they're muddy, they're holding onto their ball, they're, they're kind of doing their shoe up or whatever. Uh, and there's very, very little light, very little light, but it's it's a great shot and you've really captured it. Um, but, a, okay, you've used one softbox, yeah, so obviously the, off to the, camera left. The, the brief uh, behind this shoot was uh, the, the client actually searched high and low all over Melbourne before they spoke to me looking for a gym that would allow us and the crew all in to shoot this shot, okay, that would have enough space for everyone to get in and get this shot. And I'm like, we can do it in my studio. They're like, no, but we want it to look like daylight. I'm like... We can do it in the studio. They're like, yeah, but it's got to look like it. I said, it can all be done in the studio. Just need a bench. So all we got in was uh, a bench and I just had my uh, softbox, which is a metre and a bit by half a metre, like big square softbox, large softbox, mm-hmm. not what you would expect. Now, the trick is I wanted to create window light like that was coming in, say if it was like a gym to me is like the basement. Yes. And you know those New York basements where you get where you see a bit of the street coming from the, the yes. top the top windows? Mm-hmm. That was the lighting I was going for. So basically I yep. got my very large softbox. It's to the side of uh, my Hawthorne code player, so the guy in the uh, orange and the brown uh, outfit to the, to the left of the camera, that's where the softbox is sitting, to yep. his left. But instead of facing um, the full force of the light on both of them, which would have been, I would have got a shot that lit the player on the left really well and then it fell off to the player on the right, it wouldn't be enough. Mm -hmm. What I did is I actually sort of almost turned the softbox away from both of them. So all they got was a bit of reflected light, kind of the, the, the skim that came off the side. Where, which direction was the softbox? So um, the softbox, uh, imagine it is it is uh, sitting to camera left. Yes, and it is facing. Um, it is adjacent to me. Is it basically. facing you, the photographer? It's facing is... into the room. Yeah, it's facing so it's you, the a... photographer. No, facing um, to camera right. Adjacent, adjacent to the players, Val. Exactly at a right angle. But it's the the light is shining to camera right. The the so the light goes from camera left to camera right, yeah, right. across mm-hmm. the frame. Mm-hmm. So basically, it skims them both. So sure. basically, a softbox. The main, the hottest part of the light is around the centre, and then as it as it gradually goes out towards the edges of the softbox, it feathers out. The the better the design of the softbox, the more high quality kind of softbox, the more even the feathering happens. So basically I've just used the very edge of the softbox to mm. feather in the light and so it hits them both evenly and then all I needed to do was bring in a tiny uh, fill board down one side, uh, camera right, just to fill back 
a tiny bit to match the light and even it off. Very, very simple lighting. And I I, I, I think it looks like daylight, window lights. I me. think it's you know, great. Low I think it scenario. also shows that you can be in a small space or cause, and, and also a dark space and, yeah. and, you know, shoot in low light and achieve such a great result. So yeah. we'll put the and image in the really show notes. Really easily done. And so you can use this technique. I actually use this technique again on the weekend, Val, when I was shooting uh, a family that I had to make them look like they were in. It was nighttime and, and uh, it was daytime. We had to black out the windows, hmm. same technique, and got the same result. And it was a uh, lovely bit more fill in the air. So you can tweak it to, hmm. to make it like not as moody as this. All right, so that's using one light. We can also use a garage light valve to, to create the same sort of effect. So I've got another image in the show notes, and it's uh, shot in Paris, and it's uh, model Mimi Alashiri, and she's uh, sort of airborne uh, leaping across uh, like a, a, a road. A laneway and behind her you've got the Eiffel Tower and then you've got like uh, the leading lines that, that – uh, lead that lead you into you know the the Eiffel Tower at the end of the shot there. Mm-hmm. She is perfectly lit, yes, because uh, she's in a pocket of daylight. So if I expose for her the highlights, the actual the buildings are are in shadow and let the shadows go, Val. Mm. Right, and so you get that. It's the same thing that happens when we talk about garage lighting. If, like, we're back at Ian's garage, right? Mm-hmm. If it was daytime and the sun was, like, at midday, high in the sky, and, and we brought our model right to the very edge of the garage so that they were just in the shade, right, mm-hmm. and exposed for their skin tone, everything behind them would go to black because the skin tone is so many stops um, brighter than the background is ever going to be. Mm. So the way you can ensure that you get a very dark background when you've got uh, bright skin tones is you need to make sure that you kill any ambient light that's going to uh, fill, like add support to the background light by shooting fast shutter speed mm-hmm. and high aperture. So mm-hmm. the higher the aperture, the less light that's getting in and you're just exposing for the highlight and it means you get this very moody, contrasty sort of look, which mm. that's that garage style. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's great. Okay. Mm. So um, and play with your reflectors by adding more fill or less fill. You want more contrast, don't use a reflector. Let, let your uh, shadows go to black. But if you want to bring detail into your shadows, bring in a, like a white reflector or if you really want to light up your shadows, bring in a silver reflector. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, using speed lights, Val. Yes. Did you know that um, there is a setting on the side of the speed light that allows you to control manually the spread of the flash? Mm. What do you mean the spread so, of the flash? So... Um, there is a setting that, like, the flash can be um, focused. The beam of the flash can be focused. Oh, of where you know, it goes. Of, of how wide or how narrow the actual flash beam is. Okay. 
So uh, if you want, uh, if you're just wanting to light, one, say you've got one person and you just want the flash to just hit them on their face, mm. but you want to minimize the amount of flash that spills out around them, you, you can um, manually set the flash to say 105 millimeters. So it's like a zoom lens. Mm -hmm. So you know when we shoot long lens, mm -hmm. like zoom, say 100 or 200, the, the, the field of view is narrower when we're shooting on a long lens as when we're shooting on a wide lens, we're seeing more, the, yes. like, the, the angle of view. It's the same for a speed light. It's the, uh, the angle of flash can be either very narrow mm -hmm. at 105 or very wide at 24. So if you're in a room, you want to you want the light to spread everywhere and you've got a large group, you want to have a wide angle of flash. Mm -hmm. If you just want to get capture tiny things, you want a narrow angle of flash. So you can actually manually adjust that. Okay. That's a really good way to control the flash. Mm. That's not enough though, because it's still like you get, as I showed you with the softbox, a lot of feathering. So mm. you can actually like um, corral that light in by using modifiers like grid spots. I've seen people in the Facebook group use cardboard snoots. Mm. So you'll put a bit of cardboard around the light just to sort of um, channel it, to, to channel it. So you just like you're just getting like little thook of light mm. into someone's face. So you can. So just, people have just hacked this. They just just cut out bits of cardboard, you, use some gaffer yeah, tape. Do it with people. Do do it with. Uh, they'll they'll tape uh, straws together into a box shape that fits over the soft box, and that's a homemade grid spot. Mm. It's basically what that is. And it's just a way of controlling the light so that it only ever hits a tiny area and you're just lighting. So if you want to take – so that we're going back to my man in the black suit on the black chair with the black wallpaper. I've exposed for my blacks. So I've got nice shadow detail, but obviously his skin tone is going to look terrible. There's no light there. Mm. I just want to pop – a tiny amount of light just in his face. If I use my speed light without a modifier, mm. the whole room's going to be lit Too up much. and suddenly kill the ambience. But I'm just going to pop in an extra stop dook, of light into his face, dook, and that's it. And it just, it's beautiful. Okay? And so in case there's some new listeners, can you just explain to everyone what a grid spot is? So a grid spot is basically a uh, a light modifier, and it it controls and shapes uh, the the amount of light that will come out. So you can get grid spots that fit over a speed light, and so that you can shape the light into just being a very small, tight amount of light. So again, you just like and and they often uh, look like um, like honeycombs. Mm -hmm. that go over a light. So they just control the light and you can also get uh, grid spots for studios. And uh, I call the grid spot like the poor man's um, beauty dish because for a long time I was using grid spots as beauty dishes before I had my own beauty dish. Mm -hmm. It's very similar. You just control the light and uh, pop it into the face. So um, this guy now in the black suit, in the black chair against the wallpaper, mm -hmm. the other way you might want to light him, Val, is just to get a torch that's got a beam that you can focus. And do and what with just it? Shine a little bit of light into his face. Oh, okay. That's how you're lighting him. 
Because mm-hmm. all it is with shooting in low light is by being able to find a way to control and shape light so that it's only hitting certain areas and it's not spilling yep. everywhere else in the shot. And like, so your main light is always lighting the face and that sets up the shot. Mm-hmm. And then if you like, you're bringing in any extra light to actually add a bit more detail into highlights. All right? Right, yep. Okay, cool. That's I get it. Sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, there is an example here of uh, a shot that I, I did of a race car driver, uh, Glauco Junior Sorelli, using just a speed light uh, with uh, it, it's got that I keep the, just the plastic white diffuser. They're like fifty cents that you get with mm-hmm. those speed lights. The speed light is dialed right down. I've brought it right up next to his face. And I've made my background go, I've exposed for highlights. And the reason my background is so black in this shot, it's a guy leaning on a motorbike. All you can see is basically his face, a little bit of skin tone, his jeans and the edge of the motorbike. But the background is completely black because I've shot at a high aperture Mm. and a fast shutter speed. So I've killed any ambient. So all the all the flash is powerful enough to light is part of his body and part of the light. And suddenly you get this shot like that 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 behind him was curtains, guff, half a studio, bits things leaning. Really? You can't see any of wow. them. Wow. And that's just using aperture. And this this again, this is like you can create this same look using garage lighting as well, Val. Mm-mm. Mm. Okay. Fantastic. Right? And then and then finally, uh, I've got a, a shot of actor Alex Demetriatis. And again, so this is shot in a studio in uh, Melbourne. It's actually the old Channel Nine. And so behind him were um, the doors to the studio. I think they were green. They were ugly. There was guff behind him. Mm. I've exposed for his skin tone. I've used a mm. grid spot, and the 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 light is just basically pointed directly in his face. I've exposed for skin tone, high aperture, like maybe uh, F8 or F11, and uh, high shutter speed, kill any ambient light, and all you're getting is basically the skin tone coming through. So, so it's a great shot of Alex Dimitriades, and uh, because the speed light is on him and Gina oh, this has... This using a studio light, sorry, Belle. Okay. Yep. And because the light is on him and Gina's exposed to his skin tone, he's, you know, perfect in the foreground. And the and the background is practically black. So my question is how light was it in the background? Uh, daylight, Val. Really? Yeah. So you, hmm. by, by um, upping, so obviously I'm shooting at a very low ISO, 100, the lowest hmm. my uh, camera will go. And then the minute you start exposing inside, like I'm inside, I'm not outside, mm. harder to do outside, inside mm. at, say, F11 or F16 yep. Yep. at 200 of a second, which is the fastest my flash will sink, yep. um, you're going to, the background will go to black. Mm. Fascinating. Okay, okay great. So the, just, we're just bringing in the, the little dook of light okay so um and then uh you can uh bring in like again if you want if i wanted to in any of these scenarios bring detail back to my shadows 
that's when the second light, that's when you think about bringing the second light in mm -hmm. as like, you know, how you've got the lead singer in a band <laughs> and then you bring in the backing singers. The backing singers never overpower the lead singer. They're right. harmonies. Yes. If a backing singer ever overpowered the lead singer, they'd get sacked. Yes. If if a backing light, fill light, ever overpowered the main light, your shot looks terrible. Like yep. you get, it becomes flat light, you lose it. So you've got to make one shot is the hero, everything else is going to be supporting the rest of the shot. So you might have it at a quarter power or half power and the only reason you'll bring in an extra light is if, there, if you want to bring more detail into your shadows. Right. Fantastic. Okay, so um, does that bring us to the end of this week's topic, Gina? Yeah. Well, I think that hashtag it. Gina challenge needs to be hashtag low light. So interpret that however you like, but uh, shoot something in low light or shoot something that makes it appear like it's in low light and upload your photos to the Facebook page. We'd be keen to have a look. If you're new to the podcast, each week we have a challenge, which we call hashtag Gina challenge, and we pick a different topic each week so that there's a little bit of theme going and we shoot um, you know, a a along the lines of that theme. But you can interpret the theme however you like. So it's this week is hashtag Gina Challenge, hashtag low light. Now I want to mention also that last episode I said that um, we would be opening for gold membership until the 31st of March, but I got that date wrong. We're actually opening gold membership, gold membership until the 3rd of April, so a couple of days wrong there. Uh, and if you're interested in finding out more about Gina Militia's community, head on over to ginamilitia.com. That's M-I-L-I-C-I-A and click on join the community to find out more about gold membership or pop into the Facebook group because um, it's only open to 100 people and then we're closing gold membership, sorry, we're closing founding gold membership off forever. You can still join as a regular gold member, but basically if you're a founding gold member, uh, you get... Um, Special treatment for life. <laughs> oh, and nice. it's pretty pretty exciting. So find out more at uh, ginamilitia.com and click on join the community or uh, find out more in the Facebook group. But uh, until we chat again, Gina, what are you up to this week? Uh, so I'm off to the country um, ah. and uh, tomorrow for a big lifestyle shoot. And I'm also, I'm actually, this is hard, the hard part of my job, Val, casting male models. Mm -hmm. I know, it's tough. Do you need any I help? I just have to sit through hundreds of photos of uh, like male models basically <laughs> and uh, just work out who is going to be the right one for this. And most of them. I can help. They need their shirt off for most of the shots. I can help so too. I need to like look how excited and enthusiastic you are. <laughs> but about. you know, I'm actually so... highly skilled at this because remember, <laughs> I used to work at Clio and I did four years of selecting the fifth each year fifty most eligible bachelors in Australia. Yeah. So but you hated um, that part of your job. Didn't I'm you, quite skilled at this area. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I might send a few your way just okay. to like see if you approve or not. Yeah. All right. 
Good. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you doing? Uh, I've just got a lot to catch up on because apart from travelling with you at uh, yeah. in about in a few weeks. Two weeks, yeah. Is that all? Goodness, yes. Yeah, I've got to come to Sydney before that too. Yes, and I've got to go to Melbourne twice. So we might actually <laughs> we miss past. each other. We will actually. We, we will probably not see each yeah. other till the no. Philippines. Yeah. Uh, so I've got a bunch of travel and uh, therefore a lot of preparation before we head overseas. So I actually am a little bit stressed because I don't know whether I'm coming or going um, because I've got quite a few projects on. But um, I'm very much looking forward to planning our trip and planning what we're going to shoot there yes i am very excited i can't wait i can't wait to get there it'd be awesome yes yes but uh until we chat again you can find gina where do we find you online so uh i'm at twitter at gina militia g-i-n-a-m-i-l-i-c-i-a and instagram is the same and you'll also find me uh in the facebook group or website ginamilitia.com and make sure you sign up for Gina's newsletter as well yes, because please. a lot of bonuses there. Oh, preset week, I think it is. Lightroom presets, yes. free Lightroom yes. presets. Gina issues a free one once a month, which and you only get that if you are a newsletter subscriber. There's no, you know, you can't get a back catalogue. You have to actually open the email. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you'll find me at Valerie Koo on Twitter and Instagram and uh, very easy to find on Facebook. Uh, and connect with us on social media. We'd love to hear from you. But until we chat again, have a great week. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit GinaMilitia.com.